This is an ABC podcast. Roots and Shoots on ABC Radio Perth and WA and the ABC Listener. Good morning, Sarah Knight with you on ABC Radio Perth and WA. This is Roots and Shoots. Sabrina, unfortunately, not able to be with us this morning, but Mark Tuchek is. Hello. Hello, Sarah. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, absolute pleasure, especially when you bring me flowers, you know, how to make a girl flutter her eyelids. (laughs) I know. Well, it it is a gardening show, so I thought I'd just jazz up the uh, the studio a bit. Normally I'd bring some plants in, but uh, I was a bit... uh, perturbed last night I was a bit uh, rushed around so I just went around the garden this morning and picked a few made a bit of a pink theme for you it's beautiful and uh, just picked a few things out of the garden because it's a great time to be picking stuff out of the garden well, the gardens are certainly flowering all over the place. So I, I can see Geraldton Wax there. I can see lavender. But yes. Is, what's this? Is this a... That's a uh, limonium. Mm. Uh, it's, a, it's actually a pink form. So limonium perezii is normally a, a blue status, a purple mm-hmm. status. Very good cut flower. But this is a bit more unusual. This is a pink version of it. Uh, it's also perennial. It grows to about maybe about 50 or 60 centimetres. Makes a nice little clump. Very hardy, because in my garden I like all hardy things, you know, water-wise. yes. And I'm, I'm a very time-poor gardener, so I like things looking good, you know, by themselves. And uh, that's a ripper. So, And it's a great cut flower too, so you can just put it in your vase. Mm. It's absolutely beautiful. It almost looks like a, I want to say herbertia, but I don't mean that. But it's absolutely a stunning flower. I've never seen that before. What's it called again? It's a limonium. Limonium. Yes, it's a pink uh, perennial version. Okay. That one. Well, our numbers are still the same if you'd like to call in. Uh, 1300 222 720, 1300 222 720, or you can text 0437 922 720 with your gardening questions. And a little bit later on this hour, Josh Byrne from ABC TV's Gardening Australia will be with us as well. So lots of things happening, including Open Gardens. And Cynthia from Open Gardens has joined us on the phone. Hello, Cynthia. Good morning, Sarah and Mark. We've got a fabulous garden this morning, um, Wyanna Downs. And the address is 3215 Julemar Road in Chittering. And I need to remind everybody that it's cash only this morning uh, for entry because the... um, um, cards don't work in that area but this is a beautiful garden it's got a mixture of natives and exotics there's succulents cottage garden plants uh, for color so something for everyone it's got a rosemary hedge around the chicken yard there's a small vineyard with three varieties of grapes fish pond and a little waterfall that recycles the water back to the dam huge dam and of course um, the house yard very quickly became too small, so Denise has planted around the dam, and uh, it's just a beautiful garden. And they've got the 2J Garden Club who are going to be doing sandwiches and home-cooked cakes and slices today, and there's also wineries and the berry farm at Bullsbrook, so great day out. Sounds lovely. What was the address again of the Chittering Garden? 3215 Julemar Road. Julemar Road. Awesome. And I'll 
I love the sound of that linoleum. I'll have to have a look for that one. Oh, Cynthia, you must. It's so beautiful. It really is beautiful. Um, for those who don't know, by the way, Mark is a bush tucker expert. And he was just telling me that the Geraldton wax that's in his little arrangement is edible. Yes, yeah. This is Jambinu Zest, which is a selection of Geraldton wax. Not all Geraldton wax are created equal when it comes to eating them. So some of them have a bit of a bitter aftertaste, some of them don't have a, a taste. But this one is very good because it's been selected in conjunction with uh, Helix Australia, which is the main crowd that uh, brings us all the Geraldton wax cut flowers. And it came through the Kings Park Breeding Program. And this one has a really nice high oil content too. So when you're cooking with it, use the leaves. And it's got a very limey, citrusy, zingy taste to it. You can use it with fish, uh, desserts and things like that. So you use it like a herb? Use like a herb. So you can actually use the, the fresh leaves when you're cooking uh, fish or chicken or things like that. But you can also grind up the leaves and dry them and use them in desserts and things like that too. Can you just eat it off the bush? You can. Do you want to have a go? Yeah, okay. Here we go. All right. She says nervously. Here's one I prepared earlier. He's just picked it off the <laughs> plant. Oh, okay, here we go. Mm. Oh, it's like lemongrass. It is, yeah. So it's got quite a citrusy mm. note to it. Did not expect that. There you go. Very limey. And it's got a zing to it. That's why it's called Jambinu Zest. There you go. Ah. Mm. It does taste just like lemon zest. You're absolutely right. That's fantastic. All right. Let's hit the phones. Our numbers again, one three hundred triple two seven twenty, or text in 0437-922-720. Kath in Rockingham is first up. Hello, Kath. Hey. Hi, guys. Um, Mark, I was, I've got a um, black mulberry tree growing in a beautiful pot sitting in the garden uh, it's been there for a few years and it's been producing beautifully. But, of course, a big root has gone into the ground. So I'm tossing up whether to repot it in the pot, chop that root off and prune it all back or actually stick it in the ground. Um, what's your advice and when would be a good time to do it? Right, they tend to do that. Uh, Mulberries like yes. to es- escape. <laughs> and yes. actually happened at my mum's place too. So she's uh, now got a, a big mulberry tree with a pot underneath the ground. <laughs> So now if you do transplant it and you cut that root in order to repot yep. it, you're going to stress the plant out. So yep. all those nice new leaves and probably fruit that are coming on, probably going to get a bit stressed. You might even drop off. But uh, mm-hmm. if you keep it damp at all times, you can do that. Put it in a nice big pot. Use a good quality Australian premium potting mix. But it can easily go in the ground if you've got room too. So either way, you okay. can, can do it now, but uh, you might – Stress it out a little bit. Yeah, I would imagine I would stress it out heaps. But um, I was thinking maybe sort of bonsaiing it, you know, keeping it in the pot so I can contain it better. Yeah, just keep trimming away. And, um, yeah, they make great pot specimens. So. Yes. All right, great. Thank you for your advice. No Have a great day. Thanks, Kath. This is Roots and Shoots with Mark Tuchek and Sarah Knight today. Rowanna's off at the Cool and Races, would you believe? Nice. Nice for her. And, um, and yeah, so I'm just uh, subbing in today off the bench. Uh, Jeff's in Mount Barker. Hello, Jeff. Welcome to ABC Radio Perth and WA. That's right. How can we help today? Uh, I've got uh, nectarine and peach leaves. And before bud burst, I sprayed them for curly leaf. Uh, and yet the trees have come back now and they're pretty uh, much covered in curly leaf. What do I do? Oh, okay. 
So, yes, unfortunately, the horses bolted, and you were right. The, the best timing to spray is just before bud shoot. Um, yeah. The other time to spray is actually when the leaves start to uh, drop off in autumn. So if you can combine those two sprays as preventative sprays, possibly yeah. you, you, you missed a bit and you weren't thorough in, in the spray coverage. But, uh, oh, really, I uh, sprayed it to drip off. Well, that's it. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess unlucky, unfortunately. There's nothing you can spray now for it. So maybe have another go on the next time. Oh, Jeff, you We're, seem to have – we've lost you. You've kind of gone off mic. Can you get back to the phone? Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah? I oh. haven't moved. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> Must have been us. We moved. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah um, try again a, next. Another nurse, yeah, another nurseryman told me uh, one good way of trying to do it is pluck off all the disease-affected leaves. Well, that's true, but you you're going to need the leaves to, and that'll be most of the new growth that comes out. Unfortunately, so picking the new leaves off is going to set the plant back. But if it's that severe, it might be your only recourse. But two sprays once when it drops, and then just before bud burst. And if you do pick all the leaves off, do you need to dispose of them thoughtfully? Yeah, get rid of those because they'll be um, harboring the fungus. Yeah. Mm. It's 14 minutes past nine. Thank you for your call, Jeff. We have some lines free if you want to call in, one 720 But we must get to some texts. Um, Hi, Sarah and Mark. I have a eucalyptus rodantha that is suffering. It has some new growth but is losing leaves and has dark patches on most of its leaves. It's in full sun. Oh, gosh. So eucalyptus rodantha is a it's a lovely uh, mallee type eucalypt with very grey leaves and lovely big red um, flowers, singular flowers. So that one doesn't say whether it's in the ground or in a pot. So maybe I'm just assuming it's going to be in the ground. Um, new growth is losing leaves in dark patches. Oh. Hopefully it's in full sun. Um, Oh, it is in full sun. Good thing I can read. Yes. <laughs> so I would probably just suggest uh, even if you give it a little bit of love, a bit of a wetting agent, you can use a slow-release fertiliser on gum trees now because they start to put out a, a bit of new growth. But, uh, yeah, without seeing the dark patches, it's a bit tricky. But, yeah. So just try to help it be as healthy as it possibly can be. Correct. So, yeah, if, so if, you can fight it off, whatever it is. Exactly. So if you can increase the plant's own mm. health, they, its ability to resease, um, you know, resist disease and affection and things like that, uh, you know, it's a good way to go. It's just like us. If you eat a balanced diet and you exercise, you know, you don't catch colds and things like that. It's well. chicken soup for your gum tree. There That's you what you're talking about. All right, chili thrip. We have treated our roses with pyrethrum. The two weeks is up and we cannot remember the name of the follow-up spray. Please help. Oh, I don't know what the follow-up spray is. Uh, pyrethrum is really a contact spray mm-hmm. for the thrips. So, yeah. And it's a spray that doesn't last long in the environment. So mm-hmm. it's a good... So would you just – are there two sprays that you should be using for chilli thrip? Well, yes, there's there's a whole range of things you should be using for chilli thrip, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Um, I would even suggest, you know, alternating because if you use the same product and you don't get the results – So what should you alternate with? Well, those um, oil-based products are quite good too, mm-hmm. um, neem oils and things like that. Um, but 
yeah, pyrethrum is really just a contact. It, unfortunately, it kills good and bad bugs as well. But uh, chili thrips just so devastating oh, at the moment. It's a bane so. of my life. So the neem oil, do hmm. you need to be careful about hot weather and neem oil? You do. So today, what's it getting to? 30? 34. Yep. Mm. bit too hot to spray um, today. So usually under 30 is a good safe guide for using oil-based sprays. Okay, so Jean and David in Inglewood, uh, that's your tomorrow job because it's only going to be 26 tomorrow. Yes. Um, follow up with the neem oil and best of luck. Um, Sarah and Mark, may I under prune a Banksia ash, ash, is that Ashby? Ashby. Ashby. Mm-hmm. And how hard, please ask him. Um, I don't know why you would do that. So, yes, you can, but I'd probably just tend to leave them and do their own thing. They're usually a small banks here anyway. Um, but, yeah, whether they want to put, put plants underneath or something like that, you can trim off a lot of branches, but I'd tend to leave it if you had a choice. Hmm. The lazy gardener. Mark, I know. That's what you are. Mark, to, to check. So am I. Don't, <laughs> I'm way lazier than you, no doubt. Um, Mark, I have double-grafted plum pot. Plum planted. I had dug a decent sized hole to make sure it wasn't too rocky, added compost. The plum has no leaves or any good signs. It looks like a tall stick. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong, says Claire in Stoneville. Ooh, okay. She's planted a stick. <clears throat> She's planted a stick in Stoneville. There mm, we go. Yes. Well, really, uh, there are different plums. Obviously, if it's um, a double grafted one, she's bought one to help them cross-pollinate. Ah, yes. So plums need a cross-pollinator. And if uh, you don't have the space, and I'm I'm surprised she doesn't have the space in Stoneville because normally you can plant two trees. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, obviously one side helps. The idea is it grows like that and one side pollinates the other side. But um, they're only just coming into leaf now and different deciduous trees tend to leaf at different stages. So... Give it a bit longer? Well, yeah. What I would do, though, is I would go up to the, the top tip and just, you know, get your nail and scratch the, the tip and the, the bark. And if it's still green underneath, it's still alive. But if it's brown and, you know, a bit dead looking, that's not a good sign. So it may have suffered. But I reckon if it's still green underneath, just be patient and uh, good things will come. Okay. Patience is a virtue, as they say. This is Roots and Shoots with Mark Tuchek and Sarah Knight here for Rowanna and Sabrina, both of whom are off with the fairies, I'd like to say. Sabrina's not too well and um, Rowanna's out at the Coolin races, big race day for Coolin today. It's 20 minutes past nine on ABC Radio Perth. G'day, Mitch Turner here. Join me and former Australia Test cricket captain Kim Hughes this Saturday for a summer edition of Sports Talk as we bring you all the latest news and dissect the hottest topics from inside the world of sport. Whether it's the Scorchers, the Wildcats, the Glory or any of our Aussie and West Aussie sporting heroes, we've got you covered. So come along, join the conversation on ABC Radio Perth and WA, Sport Digital and on the ABC Listen app. One three hundred triple two seven twenty. Our number. Call now if you'd like to get through to Mark and uh, ask your gardening question. Before we get to our next caller, um, can we help Helen? She's got mini aubergine plants. The fruit's not ripening and it's staying yellow. The plant is very loved with lots of water fertilizer and 
and and weird symbol, I don't know what that means. Oh. Uh, flowers, maybe? Yep. It's next to a wall, so it's protected. It had lovely fruit earlier on in the year, but now not so great. Okay. Well, they only really start to actively grow now, too. So the fact that it's a bit yellow, um, you know, it's, it says like it's lovely with lots of water and fertiliser. So obviously it's getting the right thing. Not sure what the fertiliser is being used. But uh, this the warm weather we're having is certainly mm. going to kickstart a lot of those types of plants. So um, I would, again, be patient. You know, gardeners tend to be a patient mob. And um, the liquid fertiliser is a great way to go. Um, I, I always used to use a um, – I combine a, a both. So use a liquid and a slow release. Uh-huh. The liquid's good for now when things start to get going. Slow release to maintain uh, a fertiliser supply. But, um, yeah, this, I think the warm weather just helped the situation. Yeah. Hmm. With aubergines, is it the same like with other plants? Sometimes if you put too much nitrogen fertiliser in, it goes to the leaves and not the fruit. Would that be a factor here? Well, that's true. But, uh, you know, eggplants are really quite easy to grow, you know. Hmm. So uh, you, you can kill them with love too. So you can actually, if you're a helicopter parent and you're always – always looking at them, adding a bit of this and a bit of that, you can overdo it mm-hmm. uh, with, yeah, nit- nitrogen fertilisers, put more energy into the leaves and uh, at the expense of flowers. But it's really the warm weather that'll kick in and help them grow. Sort it out. Yeah. Okay, Bob's in Netherlands. Hello, Bob. Welcome. Good morning. How can we help I've you got, today? I've got two apple trees. One's flowering now and the other one won't flower for another six weeks. Can I make the late one flower a bit earlier? Wow. Uh, no, that's tricky. Is uh, that the same variety? I've got no idea what the variety was they were in when I bought the place 20 years ago. And do you get apples normally? The late one, I got 26 kilos of apples. The earlier one, I got seven or eight apples off. And, okay. And the same kind of apples? Uh, the late one's not nearly as good as the early one. Mm. Right. Well, see, again, apples need a cross-pollinator, and usually yeah. you pick ones that do flower at the same time. So, But the, the fact that you're getting fruit off them means they are pollinating at some point, but yeah. there's, there's, no, there's nothing you can do to make things flower earlier um, unless you've got a, a magic stick. You can wave a... <laughs> Uh, wave your wand over it. Um, no, so really, I'd, again, I just let nature do its course because um, the weather can affect different trees and different flowering stages too. So you may be, you know, the overlap should be there at the end of the week. So um, so the, the later flowering one, once it flowers, there should be still flowers on your existing one. About three or four, yeah. Yeah, so... Otherwise, you can plant uh, plant another apple tree or get your neighbour to plant another apple tree so they can all have a flowering birthday, you know. Together. Yep. Mm. Just make sure you get one that flowers okay. early. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, right. Bob. Thanks for your help. Bye. You're welcome. It sounds like you've got, yeah, two different varieties of apples and they just flower when they want to flower, don't they? They, they do, yes, mm. but uh, you do need cross-pollinators. Uh, Mary's in Bustleton. Hello. How's Bustleton this morning, Mary? Hello, Mary. It's very comfortable, thank you. Very good. I have got uh, bunnikins. I've got two of them. And they've been in for a couple of years, but I can't seem to, they don't seem to have a lot of growth on them. Uh, I give them liquid fertiliser. 
they're in uh, quite rich soil. So, and they face west. They face west, and they're what miniature Not hibiscus, that. aren't they? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so Buttercan is its botanical name is Cedar Phallus, and it it's like a um, yes, yeah, yes. little miniature what little miniature orange flowers, very prolific flowering. But again, yes. it re- it really hates the cold weather, so it'll only just start to get going now. A lot of those tropical things start to kick in now. This you know with lovely warm weather we're having, so it tends to go daggy. Um, at the end of winter, beginning of spring, but then yes, it kicks in. And right. it, it'll look good, you know, late spring, summer and autumn for you. So, okay, it has been a cold winter. It has, yeah, cold and wet. Wet, wet. Yeah, it doesn't right, like wet then, feet. No, no, it doesn't get wet feet. It gets looked after. I'll give it a feed of liquid fertiliser and see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. By, by Christmas time it'll be fantastic for you. Thanks okay. for your call, Thank Mary. You. Righto, thank you for your help. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Our number on Roots and Shoots is 1300 220 If you've got a question, a garden question, uh, then do give us a call. We'd love to uh, help you out this morning. It's 26 minutes past nine. Coming up, Josh Byrne will be part of the program as well from Gardening Australia, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, but let's have a chat with Sue in Esperance, who has a, a question about her red flowering gum. Hello, Sue. What? Hello, how are you, Sarah and Mark? Look, I know they're not called a ficafolia anymore. They've got a different name. Uh, but I have got one that I've had for many, many years and it, it just always isn't happy where I've got it near my driveway. Um, so years ago, we chopped it right off at the ground expecting it to die and it sent out one trunk and it was looking really good for a couple of years and now it's looking sick again and it's got little red maroney sort of spots on it which seems to drain the colour mark I don't know what to do with it Okay, so well the name change, it used to be Eucalyptus fissifolia but now it's yeah. it's Corimbia um, is yeah. the botanical name, so that's the red flowering gum, now was yours grafted yeah. or was it seed grown? No, it was grafted, I ah. bought it from a nursery in Perth years ago Okay, so grafted ones yeah, you can't let them shoot from below the graft like any grafted tree so the the graft on the bottom is usually oh, from memory oh, well, actually, eucalyptus well, I don't know. I mean, yeah. yeah well you, maybe if you cut it off you might have cut it off yeah you would have you would have cut off the the good bit and you're left with the rootstock which i think is eucalyptus maculata or something like that uh and so i wouldn't persist with it the purple dots usually maybe it's an indication of you know, a nutrient deficiency, maybe phosphorus or something like that when it's colder. But uh, you certainly won't get a red flowering gum from your rootstock suckers that are coming out. But you said that it had grown back after you chopped it off and it yeah. was a red flowering gum when it, it grew back. Is that right? Well, it, the leaves look exactly the same as there as they was on the original one. So maybe it was a seed. I mean, I bought it from a nursery in Perth so years ago. So it might have only been a seed. I don't know. Mm, yeah, it, 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 grafted ones are usually more expensive to buy, but eucalyptus um, maculata leaves do look similar to the red flowering gum right. leaves. Yep. Hmm. Well, you okay. can always try chopping it off again, Sue. Worked last chopping time. Chopping it off again. Or just <laughs> wearing at it. That yeah. Work. Just, just lean, lean, lean the axe next to it and uh, <laughs> see how you go. Okay. Thanks, guys. Yeah. All right. See, see, Thank see. You. Bye.
Um, 29 minutes past nine. Uh, let's go to Ross in Yokine. See, Sabrina's not here, so we can answer all the citrus questions. Oh, no, she told me any lemon tree questions to save all of those for her. Oh, and... well, this is a lime tree question. Oh, okay, oh, so we'll, we'll sneak this one through. Sneak it through. Hello, Ross. Yeah, thanks, God. Hello, Ross. Good, thanks. Um, thanks for the program. I've got a lime tree that recently I cut right back because... Um, uh, it suffered from a bit of lack of water and nutrient. Anyway, it's all re-sprouted and it's budded and it's setting some very small fruit. But I think it's in too small a pot. Would I be mistaken if I tried, without disturbing the root ball too much, if I tried to repot it into a bigger pot right about now? You can, you can do that, yes. Um, the, the trick is to make sure it's damp at all times so give it a good water before you do that and make sure you keep it damp not wet and use an Australian premium potting mix in the in the new pot and you can do that now so as long as you don't stress it out um, if you find you you get a few little limes dropping off um, don't worry because they tend to produce more fruit than they can physically handle anyway but if they all drop off then you've stressed it out so that's a bit of a sign so should he wait till tomorrow yeah, no, you can still do it today. Yeah. yeah, just keep it damp. Yeah, all right. Yep, perfect. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. You've no got a job to do, Ross. Speaking of citrus, though, um, <laughs> I have got citrus, and they are just covered with buds at the moment, like little tiny, tiny limes and lemons and um, oranges. Should I be picking those off? Like, should you thin them out? Oh uh, no, they tend to thin themselves out. You know, okay. to, to, you know, to be truthful. So uh, I'd wait till the fruit get bigger, and then if you're getting a big clump, you know, they're bashing into each other, then pick a few fruit off so they can f- form so bigger fruit. fruit. Yeah. But when they're that small, don't worry about it. Okay, good. Mm. Awesome. That's Lazy Gardener life. I love that. Uh, Susan's in Victon. Hello, Susan. Thanks for joining us on Roots Hi. and Shoots. Hi. Hello. How can we help? I've got a ponytail palm and it's in the ground. The There's three branches yes. of it. Two of them are about 1.8 metres high and they're struggling. Uh, the third one is about 1.2 and it's doing fairly well. It's uh, It's been there for probably 10 years. Uh, it's not getting full sun, but it does get some sun during the day. And it's only probably in the last six months, <clears throat> oh no, probably a year, it started to look very... The, the taller branches are as if they're stunted. Okay. I would check the – with ponytail palms, they tend to produce you know, stems and they, they, the leaves develop out of a crown. And yeah. sometimes if you get – in, in the top of the crown, if you get leaf litter or it's over wet in winter, then that tends to rot away and then the, the main shoot tends to rot uh-huh. and then, then you'll get a new shoot coming out of it um the bases get quite big so it's not in an area where it's getting over watered during winter because they like it quite no. dry because that big swollen no, it's not getting it's not getting reticulation uh through winter it just gets rain yeah it's un- it's underneath a big tipuana and it's very close next to a cubby house i don't know if the base is crowded 
Yeah. I, I think, well, it'd probably do better in full sun. And the fact that it might be getting leaves and things like that in those uh, growing shoots that have caused them to d- deteriorate, and then you start to get leaves dropping off them and it going a bit yellow. The fact that you've got a new shoot coming out suggests it's still okay. But if you can trim some of the tipuana branches back to let it allow full more sun in there, and okay. yeah, that's all I'd do. All right. Mm. All right. Thank you. No worries. Thanks for your call, Susan. Uh, it's 20, 27 minutes to 10. Gosh, this program grows so quickly. This is Roots and Shoots on ABC Radio Perth and WA with Mark Tuchek and Sarah Knight sitting in for Rowana and Sabrina. You've got the B team. Oh, we're not the B team, surely. Oh, we're, we're kind of the B plus team. The B plus team. All right. <laughs> the original and the best. This is Roots and Shoots on ABC Radio Perth and WA and the ABC Listen app. Let's go to Mick in Bullsbrook. Hello, Mick. Breakfast with Stan. Just in the last few weeks, the ducks have been landing in the pool. Obviously, they do their business in the pools and it's not real good. So no. the missus went out and bought some plastic snakes. She's put them around the pool and I saw this duck land in the pool, so I went and shoot him away. He jumps out of the pool and walks straight over the top of the snake and just waddles off the head of the missus. That was a waste of 60 bucks, wasn't it? <laughs> the Brecky Show. ABC Radio Perth and on the ABC Listen app. You're with Sarah Knight and Mark Tuchek. This, Tuchek, this is uh, Roots and Shoots on ABC Radio Perth and WA. If you've got a question for Mark, now's the time to call 1300 222 720 or you can text 0437 922 720. It's 25 minutes to 10. And... Uh, I can tell you that we've got a very special guest joining us right now, and that is the one, the only, from Gardening Australia, Josh Byrne. Josh, welcome to Roots and Shoots. Oh, I've lost you. Oh, I'm so sorry, Josh. Just as you were taking a breath, I hit the wrong button <laughs> and and you disappeared on me. But I know that you're going to be back with us as soon as possible. Uh, there you are. Hello. I'm back. How are you going, Sarah? <laughs> oh, you know, I was going quite well. Um, how are you? <laughs> oh, I'm extremely well. Lovely uh, to chat. And hi, Mark. I believe you're filling in for Sam today. G'day, Josh. Yes. Uh, we're the B-plus team here today. <laughs> oh, no. It's nice to freshen it up. So uh, great to speak to you both. Now, Josh, you're hosting an event series called Our Gardens. What's it about? So it's a series that we're doing in collaboration with the Department of Biodiversity, Conservation and Attractions to help people have success in their gardens whilst uh, using less fertiliser to reduce uh, the impact on the Swan Canning River systems. Uh, One of the things that we have, of course, in Perth um, is sandy soils, and we often see leaching of nutrients from fertilisers into waterways, and we're trying to help people stop that. So how do you go about doing that? Well, the first and simplest thing is just to fertilise correctly. Um, what we've seen through research is that most people tend to over-fertilise uh, and so the simplest thing to do is just choose the right fertiliser and apply the right amount. But going beyond that, uh, what we're also promoting is to, for people to think about um, using plants in the garden that need less fertiliser and of course that starts with local native species. So by dedicating part of their garden, whether that's the verge or other parts of the garden, to local native plants that are well suited to the local soils that don't need fertiliser, that's another great way to go. The other um, important thing is to not overwater, because when you link 
Over-fertilising plus over-watering, it means that those nutrients are pushed through the soil into our groundwater. So that's some of the practical things. And, of course, the results mean that people can have great gardens, use less water, uh, save money on fertiliser, and it's all in keeping with uh, healthy waterways as well. Save money on water as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it all makes sense. And all of this can be done by having a fantastic garden as well. So what are your favourite water-wise plants that you would be suggesting for Perth Gardens, for example? Well, we really encourage people to know their local soil type. Uh, And so the Swan Coastal Plain, you know, a lot of people think it's just all sand. Well, it's not. It's actually a series of sand dunes. And there's other soil associations too around the river and around wetlands. And so there are different plant complexes, so different groups of species that are suited to these local soils. So what we do in the workshop is we um, show people um, how to find out what soil type they're on and then what species are suited to those soils. And that way you've got the best chance of those plants doing well without additional fertiliser and without additional water once they're established. And of course that brings the best biodiversity benefits too, which is another important part of the workshop series that we're promoting. How can we rewild our gardens so in addition to being beautiful and lovely for us they're providing biodiversity benefits too but josh so many of us want to have the odd fruit tree in the garden or grow some veggies also to save a bit of money how do you do that in a sustainable way are there do you have any tricks and tips for us on 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 i guess sustainable veggie production well sarah um, as you would know i'm a very keen food gardener um i have a wonderful veggie patch and i grow lots of uh, fruit trees and um the way that we manage that and balance i get that in a sustainable way is really looking at focusing uh, on where you do want to use plants that are hungrier and thirstier so need more fertilizer more water more work uh really focusing those in an intensive way so just setting up spaces that are enough for your needs and then for those soils that's where you really put in some work so on sandy soils for example adding some clay adding compost uh, so you hold on to moisture hold on to nutrients to prevent them from leaking through your soils and then it's about irrigating really effectively and managing those areas well so we call this approach eco zoning and essentially that means that those parts of the garden that are the most intensive like our productive garden areas keep those small and focused And then the rest of the garden choose plants that are low water use, low nutrient needs, and ideally incorporating native species into those areas. So it's all about good design, practicality, uh, and you can have um, a bit of everything and and the results are great. Are you out in the garden today or tomorrow, Josh? I will be in the garden this afternoon. Um, As you you know, it's with with a young family. There's, There's sport this morning and... Um, you know, chores to do, but I've got my little window set aside this afternoon when it cools down. So uh, this time of year, that's my favourite time in the garden. So I'll get a couple of hours in and there's a long list of jobs this time of year, that's for sure. What's nice. the first one on your list? I've just got to do uh, well, weeding I'm... forever. That's that's my job. <laughs> I'm on top of the weeding, thankfully. I've been chipping away at that um, uh, over the early part of spring. So I'm in the veggie patch this afternoon. Um, I'm uh, harvesting my cabbages. Um, they're ready to come out and I'm going to start prepping the beds for... Uh, my summer crops. So, uh, yeah, that'll be me this other. How's, how's your lemon myrtle going, Josh? It's actually going really well, Mark. Um, it had a bit of a slow start. So the lemon myrtle, of course, um, Bacchiaia citradora for the listeners, a fantastic um, Australian native edible species, lovely and fragrant. Uh, I planted a little hedge with Mark's advice in my front yard. 
uh, and uh, it's more of a sort of a subtropical warmer climate plant. So it took a took a year or two to sort of settle in, yeah. but now it's doing beautifully. And you know what's also interesting, Mark, is that where I am in Hilton near Fremantle, my soils are a little bit alkaline. Yes. Uh, so um, they were a, a little chlorotic to start with, so they were showing yellowing because of um, obviously the slightly alkaline soils. But now they've established, uh, and I've got. Um, uh, got their feeding regime right. Uh, it's doing beautifully, and it's made the most lovely hedge in the front yard. So I'm really happy with it. Yeah, it's a ripper. Actually, you'll be interested. I'm next weekend. I'm up at York for Spring into York, and I'm presenting at the um, the River Conservation um, Society up there in York. And oh, fantastic! <clears throat> Tell us about that. Yeah, so they've got uh, they're doing a lot of good work there because they're right on the Avon, and. Yes. They, uh, so they've got a series of talks in conjunction with the Australian Open Garden Scheme. They have York Open Gardens there. John Visca is doing a talk on historical um, gardens in the York area. And I'm There's some rippers up there. Yeah, they are. And I'm doing a, a Tuckerbush talk as well on Australian native edible plants. But they've got displays and everything like that to help educate people on how to garden near the river system and things like that too. So there you go. Oh, look, isn't that brilliant? And you've made such an important link there because where you're going to be presenting up in York, that's at the top of the of the catchment, uh, you know, of the Avon, which, of course, connects into the Swan. And where I'm giving um, these workshops um, uh, in uh, City of Canning at, um, at the Canning River Eco Education Centre next Tuesday and then East Fremantle the following Wednesday, uh, these are both obviously right around the river here. So we do need to be thinking at a catchment scale. And what's really important is that gardeners recognise where they fit into that. And if you look at our gardens and um, the larger properties up at the head of the catchment, you know, this is an enormous area. And if we all do our bit and look at how we manage our landscapes for the bigger properties or gardens for the smaller city and urban properties, they all contribute to a healthier Swan Canning River system. So um, it's great that gardeners can do their bit. So, Josh, where do we find these talks that you're giving in the next week or so? Uh, so the easiest way to do that, Sarah, is just type in Our Gardens with Josh Byrne into your internet browser uh, and um, all the details will uh, pop up. Um, you can also uh, get the tickets through um, Humanitix, uh, the ticketing website. Now, there is a $10 cover charge, but all of the money goes to local urban greening projects. So we charge that as a way of raising some funds to support local urban greening. Um, so we'd love to see people there uh, again next Tuesday in the city of Canning and then um, the following Wednesday uh, at East Fremantle. Um, and it's going to be uh, a great couple of sessions. Awesome. Thank you very much for being part of the show today. Josh Byrne from Gardening Australia. And, of course, if you missed Gardening Australia last night, you can always find it on iview and watch it anytime. It's uh, quarter to 10. In fact, you could go back and watch the episode where Josh goes to Sabrina's house. Yes, you missed yeah, it. That was a great episode. It's a ripper. Loved it. All right, let's grab some of your calls. Uh, Annie in Fremantle is next. Hello, Annie. Welcome. Good morning, Sarah and Mark. Um, I'm helping to care for a corporate garden that has about 14 30-year-old Chinese tallows uh, set out amongst native plants. Uh, it's very tricky trying to work out what to fertilise the tallows with. And someone suge uh, suggested injecting them. Uh, is that a good process and how do you do it? Oh, no, I wouldn't worry about that at all. Uh, the Chinese tallows 
are very hardy. They tend to look after themselves. In fact, they can become a bit weedy. So um, I wouldn't be encourage them encourage them any more than what they're doing. And you know, they lose their leaves in in winter. They've got nice autumn colours. But uh, if they're in amongst natives, you want to make sure they don't tend to dominate the landscape. So controlling them would probably be a better thing than trying to encourage them. So uh, they'll do fine by themselves. Well, they're, they're looking, because they're about 30, year, 30 years old, they're looking a bit tatty and um, look like they need something to help them along. Well, if you really want to uh, help them along, I would probably look at um, going to where the plant is, however wide the plant is. If you take your arms out and draw a line down from the, the foliage down to the ground in a circle, that's the drip line. So that's where most of the feeder roots are located. And you can go and put slow-release tablets. You can put a, a pole in the ground underneath them, put a slow-release fertiliser in there to help them revitalise. Um, but they're, they're fairly easy to look after and you know, they'll, they'll come good themselves. Thanks for your call, Annie. Um, Mark, some of our Quandon fruit have what appears to be a grey fungus inside the ripe fruit. Ew. Any ideas what might cause this and how to avoid it? Oh, gosh. Um, actually, with uh, I was just going to comment that uh, down at Coolan, where Rowanna's is, yeah. they're, they're, the Quandong's down the side of the roads are fantastic this, t- uh, this time of the year, if they're not getting picked already. But, uh, yeah, grey inside, oh, I'd probably suggest... Sometimes you can get actually a little worm that gets in there, does the damage, and the, the fungus might be a secondary infection. So it may have been too late. Um, I don't know of a specific fungal disease that they get, but I'd probably just suggest that the skin has been damaged at some point. Uh, sometimes they split as well. It enables uh, fungus uh, diseases inside. Um, not much you, can, much you can do because you only tell when once you get the fruit open. So. Yeah. Mm. Oh, disappointing. Yes. Um, and Chris has texted as well. Can you please tell me if the new release eucalyptus uh, caldocalyx, vintage red, is suitable for coastal conditions? Uh, Chris lives in two rocks near the ocean and gets salt winds very strong from every direction. Okay. So it's not that new. Well, it's, it's a bit hard to get hold of. It's actually a grafted form and... Eucalyptus catechalyx is a type of, they call it a sugar gum. Mm-hmm. So it's not as hardy by the coast. So I would, um, is it get protection from the winds? Mm-hmm. Oh. No, I would probably put it on an area that gets a little bit more protection, the other side of the house, so it doesn't get the sea breeze hammering it. Uh, you still need to improve the soil a little bit, uh, a bit of compost, uh, a bit of soil conditioner in there. Very alkaline. Um, it's not too bad, but it's certainly not as hardy as some of the coastal eucalypts that uh, grow naturally there. Mm, okay, and one more text before we take some more calls. Would you please suggest edible native plants that I can plant under a well-established Chinese tallow in a three-metre diameter circular bed from Jenny and Inglewood? Gee, well, Chinese tallows, they're everywhere. I know, they're weeds. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, okay, so there's lots of different uh, native plants you can use. If it's in a shady spot, obviously it gets a bit of sun during uh, winter, gets a bit of shade during summer. Uh, Warrigal Greens is a great ground cover. It's a nice leafy native spinach, does very well. And uh, that grow- it's a ground cover, so it grows to about two or three metres wide. 
Uh, you'll get babies growing up quite easily. There is things like sea celery that grows really well in part shade as well. And sea celery is perennial, unlike... Um, normal celery. Normal celery, and also sea parsley for that matter. So they're both in the same family. And are they sold as sea celery and sea parsley? They are, yeah. Yeah, right. And so, you know, parsley that you're familiar with, like Italian parsley, is an annual. So it grows, dies, and you pull it out. Whereas sea parsley is perennial, so it forms a little taproot, which is edible. So if you want to harvest the whole thing, um, you can actually eat the root. But the leaves are edible, the flowers are edible, and even the little seeds. Does it taste like parsley, parsley? Yeah, just, just like that. Yep. Yep. Cross between parsley and celery. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're a lovely plant, low-growing plant, only grows to about 30 centimetres by about 60 centimetres wide. And uh, that's a ripper to grow as well, yeah. And you could pair it with maybe that Geraldton wax that you were talking about at the start of the program, the edible one that tastes like lemon zest. Yes. What's that called again? Jambinu zest. Jambinu zest. There you go. you can pair it together. So you've all got yourself a a nice seafood dinner. There we go. Salad. Salad. All right, we're going to take some more calls. It's 10 minutes to 10 on ABC Radio Perth. WA faces one of its biggest infrastructure challenges as it moves towards greener power. We've got tremendous wind and solar resources here in Western Australia and so we really need to take advantage of those. So what will that transition look like? How much will it cost? And how secure will our future power supply be? Our next Morning Spotlight Forum is all about our energy transition. I'll have an expert panel and you can be a part of it too. All you need to do is register for free. abc.net.au slash perth and they are always uh, really engaging those uh, um, forums downstairs when uh, Nadia does them. So, yes, worth registering for that. Okay, let's talk to Lockie in Gosnells. Hello, Lockie. Hello. Good morning. How are you guys? Great. And you've got a um, citrus question as well. Love this. Yes. Uh, so I'm a chef and I grow the native uh, finger limes and also the European citrus of dwarf uh, types. I'm just wondering how to increase the uh, predator bugs to eat all the aphids because I use the uh, uh, plant oil to as a, a deterrent, but I'm not having much luck with that because the ants keep defending the aphids. Okay. So uh, finger limes, yeah, like other citrus, are prone to aphid attack on the new growth. Uh, to encourage local predators, there's a few other tucker bush plants you can incorporate in the garden. There's one called bush basil, which mm-hmm. is nothing like basil at all. So it's more really, it shouldn't even have the name basil in it. It's more like a five spice and mm-hmm. it gets these purple spikes of flowers which are really good at attracting local predators. Um, yeah. it's, uh, it has a purple spire that stands up above the foliage. But it grows, you know, probably about a metre and a half tall, so unlike basil. It's also perennial. Basil is an annual. And it's a combination of thyme, lemon balm, oregano, basil, all rolled into one. So mm-hmm. that's a good uh, pollinator and also predator-attracting plant. Um, you can plant that around your, your garden. There's another one called uh, sea purslane. So purslane is a plant that, uh, or portulaca weed, you know, people are familiar with that grows in summer, which is edible, um, mm-hmm. has a yellow flower, but this one has a pink flower. And again, it's a really good uh, 
attractor for pollinators and other insects that are beneficial to the garden. And this one's a ground cover and has a pink flower. And you can use the leaves, the tips of the leaves in stir fries or a salad or a vegetable, you know, like Mm. in that kind of thing. So that's a couple of other great you know, bush food plants that can go in with your, your finger line that you've got. Yeah. Is it, nice. is it ladybirds that you want for yeah, aphid control? Looking at, uh, I found a ladybird and I didn't want to wash it off when I was watering the garden. So I saw one, but I haven't had much luck with other ladybirds visiting. <laughs> well, it's the ladybirds, the adults do eat quite a bit, but it's actually the larvae which eat a lot more. And they're a bit harder to spot. And because uh, mm-hmm. they've got little. It's a good sign if you've seen one, though. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Well, good luck with that. Thanks for Thank your you call, so Lockie. No worries. Uh, back down to Busso again. This is Elvie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Elvie. Hello. Hello. Uh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I have an old musket, a white musket, that's been in the family since about the 18 or 1900s. Huh. And uh, I need to move move one of the cuttings. That's It's quite thick at the base. Uh, a couple of inches across the base, but it's gone to, out to a couple of metres long and it's starting to fruit. Do I need to cut it back or what uh, should I do? And you want to shift it now, do you? Yes, I need to put it in a pot to take somewhere, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I mean, in hindsight, it would have been good to do it while it was dormant. But, yeah, if you're going to do it now, I would certainly reduce those um, long leaders that it's developing. and so take the off. Yeah, and also try and take as much of the root ball as you physically can. Yeah. Um, and How far back do I take it? The, the, the canes you're talking about? Yeah. Uh, well, you can actually prune them back, you know, quite close to the stem and it should reshoot. Um, so you might find that it won't have any leaves on or anything like that, but it will. If, the, if it's quite an old plant with a thick stem you'll find it should push out new growth when you do transplant it. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Thank Elvie. You. Um, another quick question here on the text. I have a dwarfed lily pilly and the new growth has little blister-like lumps on them. What should Beth do about that? Okay, so lily pillies are prone to psyllid attack, which attacks the, the new growth as it comes out. Mm-hmm. They're little um, psyllids or lerps. They get underneath the leaves and they suck away. They suck all the nutrients out of the growth and they make it twisted, you know, a bit um, bent and twisted. So really, um, A, there are lily pillies that are psyllid resistant. So if it bothers you, you can buy a different plant. Uh, one in the, called Tuckerbush Cherry is actually psyllid resistant, doesn't get that disease. But if you want to keep the existing one, A, oh, don't let it bother you so much because eventually it'll grow out of it. Um, you can use, again, those oil sprays, not on a hot day. Uh, but you want to try and get the new growth and underneath the leaves as well. and Or you can just kind of trim them off, but be careful because the new growth coming out uh, will need protection as well. So okay, a few options. So neem oil, is it? or That, that neem oil is good, yeah. yeah. Uh, I tend to use that. Or give it a trim or don't worry about anything. Just let me yeah, be the lazy gardener. It's uh, four minutes to 10. ABC Radio Perth coming to the close of Roots and Shoes, but we've got time for a couple more calls, I think. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Uh, good morning, Mark and Sarah. 
How can uh, we help? My, yeah, every year my green loquat fruits uh, seem to get burnt at the first, uh, the weather turning hot. It happens on the sunny side of the fruit only. Okay, and the, are they turning yellow at all before they oh, it, get it continues. It continues, no, it's, it's green, but the fruit continues to get ripened. And then eventually, of course, the, the, that part where it's brown or green, uh, grey, yeah, gets bad. Yeah, so they get like sunburns, just as we yes. do in the yes. really hot weather. How big is your locust? Is it a big tree? Yes, it's a big tree. It's about uh, three metres. Okay. Well, you, you can provide a little bit of protection during that really hot weather and, you know, a big umbrella, you know, at the, at the <laughs> yes. top. Have so, to be a big one, three metre yeah, tall yeah. tree. Yeah, those, those big patio ones that you can swing across and things like that. All right, but, yeah. But, uh, so. yeah, usually it depends on where the fruit is. You know, if they're in amongst the foliage, they get a bit of protection from the foliage. Obviously, yeah. the ones on the outside are more exposed. So usually you should get enough locusts to, Yeah. There's not, so there's not much you can do about it apart from shade it. No, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Mm. All right. Thank oh. you very much. Thank, thanks for, for the call, Chris. Um, oh, we've got to help this renter out. She wants to take a cutting of this gorgeous, delicate pink camellia from her rental property before she has to vac- vacate. Um, can she do it in spring? What should she do? Did you take a 10 centimetre cutting? You can take cuttings. Um, you probably don't need to take it that long. Mm-hmm. Probably half that. And the cuttings you want to take, where the camellias uh, go from kind of green new shoots, where the wood changes to slightly brown, mm-hmm. that's where you take your cutting. And you want to have at least two nodes. So the nodes are where the leaves come out of the stem. So you cut just below that, take off the leaves Use a bit of a rooting hormone uh, powder dropped on the end. Put it in a pot. Keep it damp, uh, but not wet. And the idea is those little leaves, because basically there's, you've cut off the roots, you have to keep misting those leaves. So, so you leave the leaves on the cutting? Well, just leave a couple of leaves on. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, if they're very big, you can actually cut them in half to stop it losing water through the leaves. Mm-hmm. Keep misting the leaves or put it underneath a little plastic container to keep it humid. And But the, the trick is to pick that wood that's gone from green to slightly brown and two nodes underneath the soil. Okay. Good luck with that. I hope you manage to uh, save your camellia and take it with you in your, in your next adventure. Mark Tuchak. Is, has been our horticulturalist today and bush tucker expert. I've I didn't think I'd be eating Geraldton wax today, but I have. Ten o'clock. Hello, Ross. Hi, Sam. Fabulous program. Fresh program on radio. Oh, you're just saying that, Uncle Ross. Yeah, I'll tell you, you guys obviously have a lot of fun. You got a good crew there, mate. Breakfast on ABC Radio Perth and on. The- You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.